Hello and welcome to my mind with Stefan Taylor again. Today we have, well, last time I thought I'd be able to do two last week, but just ran out of, ran out of time really. Life kind of took over, I guess, and I'm still working full time and that takes a toll working. Especially when you're in hospitality, there's just, it's just everything just piles up so quickly and you're left with zero to no leisure time. As you can probably hear, there's no more background noise. Well, hopefully there's no more background noise because I'm not recording this in a car, which I did the previous two episodes, which I thought was good. It was nice and raw, but you don't really want to hear cars driving past me and trying to identify what type of car is driving past me. Although that would be pretty good if you could decipher what car was driving past me at that particular time by the engine. That would be a pretty unique skill to have. I do not possess that skill. I'm sure there's someone out there that could identify a uh, Holden Commodore, but probably not. Um, I just want to talk about One thing that has gotten more and more prominent with my age, I'm not an old man, but I've gotten older and having spent the last 10 years in hospitality, there's just things that really irk you and it's the smallest things and they're not even an issue for normal people. Well, I shouldn't say normal people, but like people who aren't in uh, the kind of service, service industry, there's... So I was at, I'll give you an example. So I was at work and someone ordered a staff meal, which is fine, you know, no drama. Uh, you know, they wanted it for the end of shift, which is fine. I'm in a, I'm in a, a position where um, I'm more, more or less managing. And I was, I was leaving. I was leaving early because I'd started early that day. And I was leaving the establishment and someone, the person who ordered it said to me, did you make my meal? Is, is, is my meal ready? Ready to go? Where is it? And I said, calmly, I said, y- your meal's just in the kitchen and it'll be under the heat lamp where it usually always is. And I don't know why that annoyed me but it really annoyed me. I think it more annoyed me that I'm probably not getting the tone of his voice right, but it sounded like he was speaking down to me and I just felt like it wasn't my job to, well, essentially it is my job to cook his meal essentially and have it ready for him to get picked up. So I'm probably in the wrong for being annoyed, but I found it so annoying that he like kind of fronted me like it was my only job to cook him specifically a meal for the end of his shift when it really, you know, my job is to oversee a whole operation and uh, menu plan, cost menus and all that kind of stuff, all that fun stuff. And he just made me feel like I wasn't hired for what I was meant to be hired for. He made me feel like, oh, not, yeah, less than, less than like competent. And I couldn't like, I couldn't confidently 
plate his meal, which was very simple. I won't tell you what it is, but it was very, very simple. Um, and it wasn't anything flash. But I don't know. It just really made me feel really little. And I guess touching back on the delicate chef ego, it's like the smallest things. It's like mountains. What is it? Um, molehills into mountains. <laughs> All the time. There's always something that is so small but gets taken so far, so far. And it could be the smallest thing. It could be as easy as um, someone not recognize how they like their steak cooked. Right? So uh, Joe and Jane Citizen go to a place and ask for their steak medium rare and about 95% of chefs either do it by feel, temperature, or by a certain guideline of what the international um, temperature, internal temperature of a steak is to get an accurate rarity, right? So if you came out and got a medium rare steak, you would get it to a certain temperature. And you said, you send said steak to, to the table and they say, oh, that's not medium rare. No, no, that's, that's definitely not medium rare. I've had medium rare steaks. I cook medium rares at home and there's no blood. So, mate, you can't, <laughs> you can't judge the cooking that you get out of a place by the cooking you get at home. That's just the wrong interpretation. It's like going to a, had a restaurant and saying, oh, I cook, I cook very good at home. There's one thing that I do very good at home and that is, char grilled eggplant like i do it very well and then you come out and get baba ganoush at like a, a, a restaurant or a tapas joint or whatever and then you complain or oh, this, this is not like the baba ganoush i got at home i grill the eggplant not a roasted i make the the best baba ganoush if that probably offended someone i'm very sorry but these are the interactions you have with people on a daily basis. It's amazing that a lot of chefs and a lot of hospitality people aren't like clinically insane with the amount of stuff that I'm not having a whinge. I'm just stating the facts. This is how some people think. They think that um, when they go out, their meal should instantly be ready. I don't know if that's a fast food mentality or if because fast food is so consistent and so prominent in today's society that people just uh, expect food right away. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but you know, obviously our job is to produce food and quality of food in a fast and timely manner, but you can't expect for us to make a sandwich for you or as an example, and it'd be ready in <laughs> three minutes. Like I wouldn't go, I wouldn't order chips and then go straight to the, to the bar and ask where my chips are. Like you go home and you cook your chips at home and it takes 15, 20 minutes and there's no complaining there, you know? And then you go out to a restaurant and if your chips aren't there in 10 minutes, you're going, Oh, but it's just a bowl of chips. I don't understand what's taking so long. You don't know what's happening in that kitchen. 
you just immediately assume because you ordered chips eight minutes ago, you stood in line for five minutes, but then you tack that five minutes onto your actual wait time. So someone that waits 30 minutes for a meal and then waited 10 minutes in a line, it's an hour wait. <laughs> they waited an hour because it took them 10 minutes to get to the line. And that's when they clock their times. I've, I've worked most people out. They, you know, they start clocking their time as soon as they get up to order. And then that that's when the complaint comes from. So, oh, but I waited 45 minutes. Oh, but your docket says you only waited 10 minutes. Oh, but I was in line for half an hour. You know, you got to equate that. I was lining up. And that's that's how I judge it. When I lined up and made the decision about my food, that's when the food should have started cooking. Most chefs or hospitality staff don't have telepathy hats, as we like to say, because we don't know what's on your mind and you don't know what's in ours. You can't you can't make that assumption that just because you're out for dinner that you're going to get your food straight away. Obviously, there's places that do it and that's fine, but you can't just go into a place with the perceived notion that your food will be cooked straight away. Unless it's a, a, a ready-to-eat meal that's already there. Like some places do like roast of the day and they have a carvery set up. There, you'll get it instantly. But if you go home, cook your roast, it's four hours of waiting for this roast. That You know, you can go down to a pub and eat, eat a carvery and get your roast that way. So I'm not saying people, you need to relax, be, you know, a bit more chilled out when you're, ordering and that kind of stuff, but definitely don't add your wait time in a line and your wait time in the line to the weight of you actually ordering at the register because, you know, it's just not right. You know, fair enough. If you waited, if you, if you <laughs> went to a theme park and you sat an hour in traffic and then 10 minutes, you waited 20 minutes in the line and then you had to wait five minutes to get on the roller coaster. You wouldn't get to the front of the line and say, I waited an hour and a half to get on this roller coaster. <laughs> that's, that's what, you know, that's almost the same thing. Oh, obviously one's a roller coaster, one's a, a cooked meal, but yeah, it doesn't matter. I won't spend my whole, um, time talking about hospitality and the way it is because it does it easily annoys me how some people think and it's more it's more their process of thinking that gets me it's like they don't they understand that they went out to order a uh, order a meal but their expectation of how the meal should have come out it's like the mentality of like, oh, but I could do that. Or I could easily buy oysters. What? Why not do it? I'm not saying you're not going to go out and enjoy your time. And generally, you know, when you go out, you pay for the service. That's why, you know, you buy a snitzel for uh, $10 at the butcher and then you go out and it's $20. You know, the $10 is generally the service that we, in which you pay for. So you, you pay, you essentially pay for people to be nice to you. That's what hospitality is. There's there's not very many places in hospitality where people are mean to you and you go back. You know, you generally go to a place because people are nice. I used to go to a place 
in uh, Canberra in Australia. And the food was, at the time, not very nice, but the people were friendly. And I wanted to support that business. And I thought, you know what? The food will eventually get better <laughs> if I just keep coming here and get, getting my coffee and, and eating the eating the eggs. And it eventually did. It changed hands, I think, or it had a revamp of some sort. And the food did get better. But for that initial part, the food was pretty bad. <laughs> But the people were so nice. Like the owner, he was, um, I, I used to think he was Italian because he had an Italian flag and he loved coffee. That's probably slightly stereotypical, but I thought he was. And then he was like, um, what was he? Lebanese, I think. Yeah. And the and the chef was Indian, but he, he worked at the um, uh, a, a place that had a lot of recognition. So he was just doing it part-time. And it was only him and the, and the chef and the, you know, the eggs were, it was all just nice. It was nice. What made the meal nicer was that the people were so nice. If the people weren't nice, then I wouldn't go back. I went out recently and, um, uh, I got a horribly overcooked steak. It irks me when I do go out and, you know, you pay for a service and you pay for your steak to be cooked nice. And then when you get it, when you get it over, it's a different story. When you're going back to my point about, you know, steaks and people perceiving their medium rare at home to what you get to an international standard of medium rare steaks. Um, if you go out and your steak is overcooked, just say something. It's, it's easy to, um, well, there's a saying that it's like, there's no problems, there's just solutions. So if you've got a problem, let's find the solution to work together to reach, you know, a mutual agreement that yes, your steak is overcooked unless yes, let's cook you another one. Don't get to the last bit of your meal and then have like a little bit of your steak there and say, oh, well, it was overcooked, but I didn't want to complain. You're in a, you, you, you go into a place for a service. You should expect that service to, to be up, up to scratch. I'm not saying you've got to get a big ego about it, but if you order a medium rare steak and you get a mid-well or a well-done steak, then that's not really what you paid for. You know, you find fickle complaints online, I'm sure, about um, the smallest things. I bought tires, but there was no tire. But I'm not complaining because I've got something. I paid for it, so it came, and I guess that's it. I would just have a tire with no tire. And that's all. That's all I'll have. There's no reason for me to have... I won't go on. Um, but you see what I'm saying. Um, there was one... that There's a thing that I talked about. It was like video games on the last episode. And I, and I just want to say that... There are good games coming out, aren't there? Really, like... I'm really excited for the new Marvel Avengers game. It's like, I've been reading comic books for the last oh, 15 years or so. Favorite characters, Deadpool, as I said. Um, and there's just something childlike in me that is just so excited for this video game, even though I'm pretty confident that it's not going to be very good. 
but I just don't care because I want to be able to, I've waited so long to play your favorite Avengers in a game. That's not a Lego game. That is not a Lego game. I get it. Lego games are cool. They're for the kids, but there's no like adult superhero game that I like personally. I didn't mind Marvel's Ultimate Alliance. I thought that was um, pretty good. Yeah, that was all right. But it was definitely of that generation of games where uh, drop in, drop in and out multiplayer, um, pick whatever character you want. doesn't really matter what character you pick or, you know, they fly or whatever. But this one, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like if they revamp it like they did, the, I think it's Square Enix, the guys that did uh, Tomb Raider and uh, obviously all the Final Fantasies and that. I feel like if Square Enix structure the game like they did, um, how they re- rebuilt the Tomb Raider franchise, I feel like it's going to be a very successful game and there's going to be sequels that come after that game. I feel like if they nail the fundamentals of the game, I haven't seen uh, much gameplay, only the trailer, and they only do like, gameplay that and they they say there's if you ever read the fine print it's like this gameplay was um still in pre-production stages so it will not look like that when you get the game but you know nine out of ten times it does um but i feel like if they really nail the because it's not like a rebuild of a game it's a new game starting off a franchise so you know it's a game that you want to get right with Tomb Raider, it was good because you had the fundamentals of what Tomb Raider, like what Lara Croft is, and you want her to be, sorry, was, and then you want Lara Croft to be what she becomes. So you've got, you've like Tomb Raider 1, you've already got this like really cool, super cool chick that can, you know, like she she made that whole series made archaeological exploits fun. <laughs> you know, I'm not, um, I'm into uh, ancient history, more Roman history than anything else. I don't mind like the Vikings and stuff, but I, I feel like um, Roman history is just so cool and so you know they're so advanced for um, what they what they accomplished. They just did so well for the time. I don't know. They're just so advanced, I guess. Like, uh, I guess saying that you like ancient history and liking Rome, it doesn't make me a, a foremost expert on it by any means, but I do enjoy like, the TV show Rome, The Sopranos. <laughs> like, maybe I like. Rome. I just got a fascination with the mafia. I think that's like like a cool bit of like history now. Is like the mafia is part of like modern history, similar to how um, the uh, the war is, you know, and like narco history. That's like history now. Like before, in like the early two thousands, it was all happening and stuff and you know, there was some people in witness protection or whatever, and it, it wasn't really spoken about, but now it's like 2020, all the facts are coming out about like how they ran these, like these schemes and how they controlled construction and all in New York. There's that cool doco on um, Netflix about it, a fear city. 
that's epic. That's so cool. Michael Francesi, shout out if you ever listen to this. He is he sounds like the coolest dude. You know, he's obviously seen some stuff and um but he just sounds like he was probably like a really tough dude, I guess back in the day. But he just feels it feels like he's just come to terms with his past and is happy to move on and is okay with speaking about it. You know, like that takes Oh, I don't know if he's breaking any kind of code. From what I understand, he's just kind of quit the mafia and it was all mutual and, um, you know, more power to him because he's, you know, just speaking about it, speaking about like history. It's it's cool that you have someone that can tell you about the history of uh, mafia. I've, I've tangented. I've really gone on a tangent. I'm back. To, I'm talking about. The Avengers game. I'm t- I'm t- really, I'm talking about how cool t- Tomb Raider is and how she made archaeological exploits so good. So good. They were so fun. Like, who wouldn't want to know about Mayan and Aztec history? And, like, who wouldn't be fascinated that there was, there are tombs that in, you know, Bolivia or um, Egypt and stuff like that, that you can go and you can, you know, jump on levers and there's like pressure pads where, you know, treasure comes out of and like, who wouldn't want to discover that as an archaeology, I can't say it as a, as an excavation digger, who's recovering artifacts. That's what I'll call them. Cause I can't say the word at the moment as an excavational digger at those sites, you would never do that. You would never do that. And that's what makes it an even cooler video game because it gives you, you learn about this history made up or true um, about an ancient society, civilization. And you learn like these cool things along the way. It's like, it's like Carmen Sandiego, you know, she was like the, the show where you learn about the world and stuff like that. It was like this educational um, CD-ROM, shout out CD-ROMs, they're still relevant. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I unfortunately wasn't in the bracket of kids that qualified to play Carmen Sandiego because I came from, um, not less, not less fortunate, but we didn't have the extra money to go out and buy um, Carmen Sandiego. I'm pretty sure our first computer was purchased from (laughs) a school because they were like, they didn't want it. (laughs) Or, um, I think my godfather got it from (laughs) not like a trash heap, but it was like defaulty goods. (laughs) So he got it for like 20 bucks. You know, that was our first computer. And then like, we didn't have dial up until like, uh, would have been in, year eight, I'd say. So maybe 2003, 2002, which is kind of the birth of, you know, dial up and that, I think. Anyway, I really want want this Avengers game to be good because my son and I play the Lego games and we have so much fun. It gets a little annoying doing like the same quests essentially over and over again. You do the same quest, but to a different tune. 
you know, like it's a different character telling you to go and pick up some sticks. And then 20 minutes later, you find another character that's like, go and pick me up some rocks and bring it back here. You know, it's, a, it's, it's tomato, tomato. Um, sorry, tomato, tomato. It's tomato, tomato. Mm. That's another thing that like gets me as, um, as a chef. It's like, we all speak a universal language and generally it's French. Cause that's just how the, um, the high, the, the, the high, kind of whole chef hierarchy was invented in France by, um, oh gosh. Um, someone listening to this is probably just yelling out the name, but I, I can only remember for some reason that he died on the Titanic <laughs> with the Titanic. <laughs> he was a chef on the, on the Titanic. That's how like prolific this guy was. Um, I cannot remember his name for some reason. Um, yeah. So he invented like the hierarchy as like, um, uh, cook, commie, um, cook, uh, like apprentice, cook, commie, um, uh, demi-chef, chef to party, junior sous, sous chef, senior sous, uh, executive sous, executive head chef. And then, you know, kind of your sous chefs are kind of your head chefs or, or your head chef is just, yeah. Generally when you're a head chef, you're not the, um, you're not overseeing, um, a team of, uh, sous chefs. So you're only, um, overseeing one. So you generally, when you're a head chef, you have, um, like one, maybe like a, you have one sous chef, like your two, I see second in charge and you have, um, you know, not underlings, but like CDPs, demi chefs, and all that kind of stuff. So when you're a head chef, you don't really qualify for the executive head chef role. When you have an exec, when you're the executive head chef, you've got a team of sous chefs that do your bidding, <laughs> as it were. You know, or, you know, it's not quite like that, but you oversee a team of chefs. That's what the difference is between a head chef and executive chef, in my experience. In my experience. Um, yeah, for some reason, I don't know why I can't remember his name because I pride myself on having, like, uh, hospitality knowledge. don't know why he's... It's just... He's French. I can only think of Paul Bocos for some reason. <laughs> but he was, like, an old-school guy. Anyway, the... Um... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I've kind of lost my train of thought. Um, but I really want... This, oh yeah. So, so what I was saying, right. Um, we all speak the universal language of, you know, if you say to a chef, I want these onions, brumois, julienne, or, um, these carrots, jardinier, they all, they all refer to sp specific cuts, you know, and they all refer to, um, what you learn at your trade school. So like if I said to, you should be able to say to any chef, I want these onions, brumois, which is like a small dice diced onion or you want these carrots for um a paisan you know like and they should be able to recognize that word and go yeah i know exactly what he wants and then you know it sucks when you go over there and they haven't done it <laughs> it really sucks because then you just question you start to question everything they were taught and you just go let's go back to basics show me your brumois and then i'll show you mine and then let's 
let's work from there. Let's let's do the whole, um, let's just, you know, brush up on the knife skills. And it pains me a little bit when people say, oh, didn't really pay attention to tape. It's like, well, you know, you, you, you pay attention in school to learn numbers. It's the same with like chefing. If you didn't pay attention in mechanic school, you wouldn't really be a good mechanic. <laughs> you know, if someone said, oh, hand me that three quarter wrench, I don't know terms, but if someone said that and then you hand them like a, a shoe, you'd be like, mate, what's this about? What are you doing? <laughs> Um, and that, that's ridiculous. So when, so, you know, when you're a, um, when you're a chef, you want all your chefs to understand what these terminologies are. So there's, um, there's like this little skewed things where people call things by different names that aren't, um, that don't really translate well, or if you say something in, a, a language that's not French or English, then you just kind of, you look like an idiot. <laughs> I said, like someone said to me, I want, um, can you get me some scallions? And that's how like Americans say shallots. It's like, mate, come on, we're in Australia. <laughs> For one, no one calls a shallot a scallion <laughs> just because you've worked on a, a boat that, you know, sailed past the Horn of Mexico or wherever, you don't get to call a shallot a scallion because you heard it three times on a cruise ship, you know, or you watch, you know, Bobby Flay for 20 minutes when you go home on the Food Network or whatever. You don't get to like just start recreating terms that people already know. You can't do that. Then you're like you you're upsetting the balance of like what you understand and what you're um, trying to change. You know you don't reinvent the wheel. The wheel still turns. You just let it roll. You don't put like you know a, a you don't shave one side a bit more so when it comes around it. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's a um, that analogy went nowhere. I like to think I'm pretty good at analogies, but that one went. That was off. The wheel was broken on that analogy. It was, I should have listened to my own advice, really. The, when the wheel stops turning, don't try and read. It doesn't matter. This analogy is... Um, that went even worse than the previous one. <laughs> uh, it was horrible. But going back to the Marvel Avengers game, I have really high hopes, and I really hope Square Enix... Um, do a really good job. I feel like I'm not getting the company right, but I really want that to, yeah, I really want it to be a really good game. There's like a few of my friends, we've all been craving like a really good co-op game. And it would just mean so much to me <laughs> if that co-op game happened to be a Marvel game where you could be Captain America, Thor and, Iron Man and Black Widow. Like, that is so cool, man, in my head. That is so cool. And then you can, like, release, like, a Deadpool character and then I can only play as Deadpool and then I'll be stoked, man. Because I really enjoyed the Deadpool game. I think I more enjoyed it because Daniel Way wrote it. And he's, like, you know, a really good Deadpool writer. I think I put him at, like, one or two. It's, like, really good. 
Deadpool writers because he just nailed silly <laughs> and, and like the the penciler Paco Medina just nailed what he was trying to write and they just came together so well and yeah I probably spent too much time talking about Deadpool but I could I you know I could go on um, but I really enjoyed the game because the story was so silly <laughs> that story was it was so predictable but not like where it was going was predictable but how it got there was unpredictable and that's kind of the essence of um deadpool is that you don't you know where it's going and you know the outcome you just don't know how you're going to get to that outcome that's what's even crazy you don't know how we're going to get there but we're getting there when there's a will there's a way we will get there um so a pastime of mine is to do is to imitate people and i don't do it in an offensive way i do it because it makes me laugh and that's how you kind of deal you kind of balance your um you you kind of balance you the the people you work with and the people that annoy you in regular life or like people that you see on tv or a politician or whatever and you just kind of a lot of people do it you like mimic them to like make yourself laugh and to like bring out the 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 happier side of things like i think that is just imitations uh you know what is it imitations the biggest form of flattery i think is the saying um I don't do it to flatter them. I do it to, it, it really makes me smile when you can pull off a accent or you, you can mimic someone really well. And it just makes me so happy. Like I had this one guy and I won't say his name, but he was from Nepal and he was a quiet spoken um, gentleman. He was actually quite nice and a decent uh, chef, you know, like we've all got our fault, our faults. But um, one day I was making um, this salad and <laughs> I was making a Greek salad, right? And uh, I'm making it and um, he comes up and he's like, chef, what are you making? And he'd already been there for a couple of months. And this, I'm not saying this in malice, either the accent or the voice. I'm saying it because... Just what he said. And if you said it in English, it would even be funny without the accent. But I'll do it with um, how I think he speaks, my interpretation of it. But he was like, Chef, what are you, what, what are you making? And I said, um, oh, mate, I'm just making a, a Greek salad. And he was like, oh, and where is that from? <laughs> And it made it made me laugh. It made me so laugh because he was he was generally didn't know that, you know, um, a Greek salad is from Greece. <laughs> and I didn't want to be really mean and say oh, it's from Greece, man. I said, um, I think I did actually. I did say it was from Greece, <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, I, I laugh about it now, but. In that moment, I was probably like really frustrated and easily annoyed as I am. And I was like, mate, how come you don't know that a Greek salad is from Greece? <laughs> you know, but he was generally interested, you know, because he was from Nepal. Um, I won't pretend to know where he was from Nepal, but 
there was one day he turned up in Crocs, like open hole Crocs, like reef shoes Crocs to walk on like coral reefs or whatever, or sharp rocks with no socks. <laughs> Guy had no socks on. You know, I don't know if that's legal in Nepal or it's definitely not legal in um, Australian kitchens, but it definitely was a talking point and it definitely got me talking to him and... Yeah, it was definitely funny. I won't name and shame him, but because he definitely, or I won't say definitely, but he probably won't listen to this. But it was so funny. He was so, he was so adamant that, yeah, he just had no idea. I think he worked in America for a bit. I don't know how many Greek people there are in America, but maybe there's not a Greek salad on in Nepal (laughs) or um, uh, America because we have a pretty big, multicultural, diverse. Um, yeah, there's just, it, we have a very diverse and multicultural, um, kind of background in Australia. I mean, yeah, I won't touch on it now. I might wrap it up there and I'll try and get on to another one later this week. Thank you for listening. Um, I really appreciate anyone that does tune into this show. Um, I was looking at, I'll just quickly say, I was looking at, um, <laughs> at the, the analytic, the analytics, analytics. Oh, I can't really say it either, but it like tells you a graph of where like your podcast uh, on Anchor, um, where it, it tells you where, um, people listen to it. And I think like one person listened to it in Ireland. So shout out Ireland. I've got, you know, one of my good friends lives in Ireland, actually actually moved his whole life from, um, from Australia to Ireland because he's always wanted to live in Ireland. And I think he met a really nice girl. They're engaged and shout out to, um, don't know if you'll ever hear it, but bad news, shout out to bad news. All right, I'm going to stop there. Thank you and goodbye.